Today we're in week number three of our I Choose series here at Centrae Community Church. Within our series so far, we have looked at gratitude over grumbling, knowing that each of us has a choice to rejoice and also understanding the cost of complaining. Last Sunday, if you were with us, we dialed into the subject of surrender over control. We acknowledge that we're all control freaks to an extent, maybe some of us more than others, but within that message last Sunday, we asked the question, what or, or who are you trying to control? If we're honest, there are circumstances, there are people at times that we're probably trying to control. We talked about the big difference between relinquishing control and abdicating responsibility. The reality that we still do have responsibility, but oftentimes God is asking us to relinquish that control to him. And so we ask some important questions along the lines of surrender and control. Is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? Is it, in fact, uh, for God alone? Is it for God to control within my life? You see, it comes down to a daily surrender of the things that we want to control and, frankly, the things that control us. Choosing surrender over control means that I admit my sinful self-sufficiency, that I submit to God's authority, that I commit to God's purposes being fulfilled in my life. Well, this morning we turn our attention yet to another subject, to the importance of choosing grace over judgment. And I know that we hear that grace over judgment, and of course, all of us are now tuning out, right? Because this doesn't impact me, this doesn't affect me, this is not an issue for me, right? And yet again, maybe if that's the case, then... Maybe we're living a little bit in denial that this issue of choosing grace over judgment is a very important decision that we have a choice to make. I wonder, when are you guilty, or maybe more specifically, how often are you guilty, am I guilty, to rush to judgment? You see, we all rush to judgment of different sorts and in different ways. I know for me that sometimes when I survey a, a situation or when I look at a person's response or reaction, then I will rush to judgment maybe of what is going on or what a person is thinking. And I think all of us are much the same. We rush to judgment in things. We do a quick surveying of the landscape and we immediately make a judgment. We have a perception toward a situation. We, we think we know another person's intentions and we rush to judgment. And I think, you know, especially now in the midst of the COVID-19 and this coronavirus era that we're in, that um, things have become so polarizing. As it is, we seemingly live in a culture that has become so polarized in, in so many different ways, and yet in this particular uh, trial or conflict, if you will, it has become so polarizing when we talk about making judgments about things. And I think that, that so often we have allowed these, this dynamic to happen and to, 
and to, to be present in our culture today. We can't just remove ourselves from saying, well, it's not my issue, it's someone else's doing. And yet we have to acknowledge that our, this rush to judgment, this polarizing culture that we live in, we all contribute to that in various ways. You know, it brings to mind the words of James in the New Testament in the book of James in chapter 1, verse 19, where James says, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And if you know the scripture, you know it continues on to say, and slow to become angry. Let's be honest. We're quick, most of us are quick to make judgments, to rush to judgment, and to offer our opinions, right? I mean, we are not always quick to listen and slow to speak and thus slow to become angry. We make quick judgments. We want to offer our opinion and then we let bygones be bygones. We let the chips fall where they may. Friends, I would suggest to you, if we're going to choose grace over judgment, that that's not how God has called us then to govern our lives, to make quick judgments and to quickly offer our opinions. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Author Stephen Covey writes in his highly regarded book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he simply says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. I hear James' words in that statement that we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I mean, what sound advice it is from Scripture and also from Stephen Covey's writings that we should seek first to understand, then to be understood. Judgment is a com complicated and com uh, perplexing issue. By its very definition in the Greek word, I believe uh, pronounced krino, this Greek word is where we get our word judgment. And the fact remains is that judgment by its very Greek definition can go some very different directions. On one hand, judgment, krino, means to evaluate, to discern, or come to a conclusion. And yet it also infers in a part of its other definition to condemn accuse or sentence to damnation. So here in this one word, in our one English word, we have very different meanings to evaluate, discern, or come to a conclusion, but also then to condemn, accuse, or sentence to damnation. No wonder we get it wrong so often. You know, I've heard judgment described in two distinct ways. I've heard it described as horizontal judgment that for us as believers in what scripture informs and how scripture instructs that there is a horizontal uh, judgment that we are allowed to make and yet also then I've heard it described as there's a vertical judgment and this vertical judgment is only the right of God and yet how quickly do we like to step in and take the place of God when it comes to this issue of judgment. 
Jesus instructs us in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount in the chapters of Matthew, but in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2, here's what Jesus says. Do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I mean, hear those powerful words. Don't judge or you will be judged, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. David in Psalms reminds us in Psalm 103 and verse 8, he says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You see, what I hear David saying is that we have a compassionate and a gracious God who is slowed to anger, yet abounding in love. He won't always accuse, and even in his anger, he will not harbor that forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Friends, within that statement is part of the definition of grace. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us, speaking of the Lord's actions, he tells us in 2 Peter 3.9 that, that God is seemingly slow to act at times, at least according by, to our definition and our perspective, that, that God is even slow to act and to punish. The Apostle Peter writes there in 2 Peter 3.9, he says that, that he, being the Lord, is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so what we might sometimes define or perceive as slowness, that the fact does remain that God is sometimes slow to act in the area of punishment, for he wants all to have the opportunity to repent and come to know him in a personal relationship. In fact, two of the places in Scripture we see God issuing punishment in the book of Genesis, we find that God is taking his time and how he is leveling his judgment, how he's leveling his punishment. One being in the account of the Tower of, of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, the other being in the judgment that was placed upon Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18 and following. The scripture says in both of those places, it says that the Lord came down to look before bringing judgment. It was as if the Lord was taking time to be sure about the pending judgment that would be imposed upon these people. And we think about a God who very in a very calculated way and who is not quick to anger but is abounding in love he's compassionate and gracious who even as he has to ultimately judge that God is not one to rush to judgment and yet many of us make judgments upon people and situations on the spot and without frankly a second look Yes, we're called to make judgments at times, to evaluate, to discern, to come to a conclusion, but God doesn't give us, he doesn't give you permission to condemn, to accuse, or to sentence anyone. 
So why are, why are we inclined to approach the issue of judgment, frankly, so poorly and so improperly at times? In other words, what does our poor judgment stem from? What, what does our judgment truly stem from? I think there's a number of things for us to consider. One of the things that judgment, our judgment stems from is pride. And really, pride could be summarized as this, that in order to judge someone else, you have to feel superior to them in some way. And in doing so, you are letting pride well up within you. Pride is one of those things of where our judgment stems from. Another thing of where our judgment stems from is that of idolatry. And idolatry really is any time that we worship anything other than Jesus himself. And when we do so, we tend to judge others in those areas. Maybe you find yourself judging other families and parents of how they parent their kids. Might I suggest to you that maybe one of your areas of personal idolatry may be your family. Maybe you are are judging others on how they deal with their finances and how they go about their financial lives. Might it be that an area of idolatry for you may be your own finances? You see, idolatry can, can be things that contribute to our judgmental stances. Another thing is prejudice. You know, prejudice literally meaning to prejudge. It's your preconceived notions about others, and so often when we're living in prejudice, we're simply looking for evidence to support what we already believe, and in acting in prejudice, we find those reasons to justify the position or the opinion that we have come to. What our judgment stems from as well is I would suggest to you is insecurity. The most judgmental people are often some of the most insecure people. And people who seem to judge often are ones who probably struggle, quite frankly, with matters of insecurity within their own lives. Another thing that judgment stems from is unforgiveness. You see, in unforgiveness, it's so easy for the victim um, that has been sinned against to bring back judgment upon the person who has sinned against them. And they can always just kind of bring that back up and use this, this whole idea of unforgiveness as justification for the judgment that they will continue to hold against that person. But I think one other thing, and very importantly, too, is the matter of self-righteousness. Judging others, and I think self-righteousness described as this, judging others by their action while judging ourselves by our aspirations. You see, there's a big difference when we choose to judge others by their actions, yet we only judge ourselves by our aspirations or even our good intentions even if we don't actually carry out those good intentions. Let's face it, Jesus took most issue with some of the conservative religious types of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who felt, spiritually speaking, they had all the answers, they had it all figured out, and yet they had all of these rules to live by, and the vast majority of them lived with a, a high level of hypocrisy. There was no way they were carrying out and living out all the things that they were trying to impose on others. Friends, in our self-righteousness, 
even at times as followers of Jesus, we can come down hard on the side of judgment. As we evaluate ourselves in this area of judgment, we should also briefly consider where our judgment shows up, because our judgment shows up in a number of areas, and let me touch on these quickly. One of those areas is the subject of race, sometimes knowingly, other times unknowingly, we're discriminating in our thoughts and our actions against others. And it might be specifically associated with a particular race or races. Where our judgment shows up can also be in classes. And when I say in class, I'm not talking about a student sitting in class. I'm talking about the socioeconomic status of people and the class system, whether stated or unstated. You know, many would agree that it's harder to integrate the classes than it is to integrate races in a fellowship of people. For there are more even dividing lines at times between socioeconomic status. Hard to put people who have means with people who don't have means. Either one is judging the other. You see, our judgment can show up in matters of race. It can show up in matters of class. It can show up within our family. Wouldn't you agree that oftentimes you're most tempted to judge those who you're most closely related to? And those tend to be our family members. Sometimes we come down hardest upon. Where our judgment also shows up, probably no surprise to any of us, is in the area of politics. We're making judgments based on how a person has voted or the candidate or the party that they mostly align with or that they support, and we make judgments politically. We also make judgments from a religious standpoint, that if we're not true to the Word of God as Christ's followers, that we can easily come up with man-made traditions that we are imposing upon other people, and if challenged as to where that is anchored in the Word, we may not have an anchor set in the Word, because this is a, a, a man-made tradition that we are just choosing to impose upon others, because it maybe has been our own experience of faith. But I would suggest to you as well that where our judgment shows up is what might be described as similarities. We judge the people that maybe are in our same position or spot. Moms, sometimes you're inclined to judge moms and how they go about mothering. Dads, the same. You might judge other dads. We might do it with people who are in our same career. Would you believe that maybe even as a pastor, that at times I want to judge other pastors and, you know, try to somehow evaluate or self-evaluate how maybe I think another is doing compared to myself when we play this whole comparison game. You see, judgment can just creep in and crop up in a number of places within our lives. Well, back in Matthew chapter 7, hear how Jesus continues his sermon in verses 3 and following. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will, cl then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Friends, I want you to take in this next statement and I hope it just really kind of, it just resonates with you because I think it's so powerful. The most effective way to deal with your self-righteousness is to practice self-evaluation. 
Hear that again. The most effective way to deal with your self-righteousness is to practice self-evaluation. The Apostle Peter implores us in 1 Peter 5, he says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we're willing to self-evaluate, when we're willing to self-assess how we're doing in this area of judgment, it is downright humbling. And God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Jesus was all about choosing grace over judgment, and I want to highlight two or three quick places in Scripture in our remaining time. And if you don't know these stories, to take time later and to read through these accounts, but Jesus was all about choosing grace over judgment. The woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, where they were getting ready to stone this woman. And yet Jesus says, let the person without sin cast the first stone, and pretty quickly this crowd dissipates. And Jesus asks this woman, woman, there is no one left here to condemn you. And Jesus says, then so too I don't condemn you. You see, in the opportunity of condemnation, Jesus didn't do it to her because he knew that he would later do it for her, meaning that he would sacrificially give his life for this woman so that she might ultimately be freed from the certainty of death through her sin. We think of where Jesus chose grace over judgment when the the woman, the sinful woman, anointed Jesus in Luke chapter 7. And Jesus did not, you know, push her away from anointing his feet and, and crying over him, even though it was such an uncomfortable setting for the dinner party that Jesus had gathered with. Jesus really, in essence, set forth this principle. He says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little, but whoever has been forgiven much loves much. He pointed to this woman and he said, she has been forgiven much. And so she has chosen through this anointing of me to love much. And then also there's the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 as Jesus yet again was choosing grace over judgment. It's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The son asks for the wealth of the family. He goes and he squanders it in wild living and he decides to come back to his father's household and ask to simply be a servant. And yet we know in the story that once the son had set off to the distant country with his part of the family wealth and had squandered his wealth in wild living, we see the father's response in this parable. It says that the father saw his son far away. He was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Friends, another example of how Jesus calls us to choose grace over judgment. That father had every right to judge his son, and yet he expressed grace. He extended grace instead. It's widely understood in Christian thought that grace simply defined is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you deserve. But grace being understood as getting what you don't deserve. You see, some would say that there's a vertical grace, back to the vertical and horizontal. There's a vertical grace, a grace of what God extends to us. 
John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. John goes on to write, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his Son. This vertical grace that God extends. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2 and verses 8 and 9 that it's by grace that we are saved. That it is through faith, it is a gift from God, it is not by works so that we might boast. This is a vertical grace, it's a grace that God has extended to us. And as a result then comes into play the horizontal grace. The grace that we are to extend to others. Paul says in Colossians 3 to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility to bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances we have against the other. These are all things of ways that we extend grace to others. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In all these ways, we have opportunity to extend horizontal grace to others. Friends, my challenge for you in closing today is rather simple. Let's choose grace over judgment. Let's be people who temper judgment and lavish grace on those around us. To use Pastor Jenna's illustration from earlier in our service, let's be more of the balloon people who lift up than the rock that weighs down and holds people down. Let's choose grace over judgment. Temper our judgment and lavish grace on those around us. I close with James' words out of James 2 in verse 12 and 13, where he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who, does, who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Grace triumphs over judgment. Friends, may we be those people who speak and act as those who are living within the freedom that Christ affords us for the grace that he has given us. May we choose grace over judgment. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we are so thankful for the grace that is ours extended through the act and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded anew of that grace in our lives. And if there's anyone here viewing this live stream today who has not experienced that grace, God, that, it's, that that gift of grace is available to all if we will just confess our sin to a loving and compassionate God and receive the work of Christ on our behalf and invite Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of our lives. Lord, I pray that we will do that if we have not done that, but we would be reminded of the powerful nature of grace. We're not called to live in judgment, but we're called to live according to the grace of God and we're called to extend that grace of God to others. God, thank you that you are that loving Father who runs to us, who tracks us down if we have gone astray, who yearns to be in relationship with us, who has expressed that reckless love toward every one of us. God, may we receive the grace that is ours 
in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.